Welcome to Christian Faith Center. We're a church that meets in multiple locations. If you'd like to know more about our church, just head to our website, experiencecfc.com. Thanks for joining us. All right. How's everybody doing today? Okay. I always have my normal 17 people that are like, I'm good. Everybody else is not sure yet, but that's all right. Come on. Sometimes that's half the reason we show up to God's house, right? Come on, get a boost. Uh, But we are so glad to be with you. I'm fired up about closing our series today that we've been in called The Woodshed. How many have enjoyed the series, been blessed by it? Um, I know I have. And so can we do this as well? Can we just put our hands together and welcome our online campus joining us right now? We love you. We pray God touches your life in a powerful way. And we are so thankful for the family of God that calls CFC home even online. Aren't we living in a cool age? Um, I've heard people say, and I agree, that Jesus had an unfair advantage. He doesn't have to deal with technology. He doesn't have to deal with microphones and lights and sound and all of that. But I also love that we have the ability to reach the world through technology. And so we are leaning into that as a church and love it. Hey, I want you guys to be super excited about hot summer Sundays in July. And uh, we have never um, had the opportunity to all come together. So all both of our services together as one, we're going to put out a couple hundred more chairs and just make sure there's room for everybody. But for four Sundays, we will all be together in one gathering. We're going to be doing giveaways. We're going to be doing fun stuff and just leaning into the summer. Come on and believing God for moments miracles and memories to happen in our lives. And so it's going to be really, really good. And I just want to encourage you, if somebody you don't recognize sits in your seat, show them the love of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Show them the love. Because what you might find out is you've got a seat neighbor you didn't know about. And that might be your seat in one service. It might be somebody else's seat in another service. So I don't know. You can rock, paper, scissors for it or whatever. But it's four Sundays, and they're going to be hot summer Sundays. And I've got uh, a new friend, a good friend, um, uh, Pastor Jeff Portman, coming in from the General Council of the Assemblies of God. He is the worldwide director of the Church Multiplication Network, and he's going to be kicking off our series next week. We're going to be broadcasting to all of our CFC campuses. It's going to be a Sunday you don't want to miss. And so just get excited about it. Be praying, and we're going to have us some hot summer Sundays. Amen? Amen. All right, well, hey, grab your Bibles with me. Turn them on. Open them up. One thing I love about first service is there's just, there's more paper Bibles. Come on, I love, love these. There's just something about a paper Bible, but for the rest of y'all, turn your Bibles on. And if you're just like, I'm not doing either, it's all right. We'll throw it on the screens for you as well. But we're going to be in Judges chapter 6 today. Judges chapter 6. And I want to bring to you a message that I honestly believe has the power to transform your life and help you get unstuck if you're stuck in an area of your life. I believe that this is a word from heaven today, and it's going to shape your life. And I also believe that in God's kingdom, we get what we expect from God. Come on. So I just want you to get your faith up. I want you to get your hopes up. And uh, let's believe God that his word's going to do something in our life as we wrap up our series, The Woodshed. All right, Judges chapter 6. I've given you as much time as I can. Judges chapter 6. We're going to read the first two verses together and pray. All right, so Judges chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, come on online campus, says this, 
the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites. Everybody say Midianites. All right, for seven years. And the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves. And I want you to catch this. In the mountains, caves, and strongholds. In the mountains, in the caves, and in the strongholds. I want to preach to you a message this morning called Mountains, Caves, and Strongholds. Would you pray with me? Let's ask God to speak to our lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the word of the Lord today. I pray that each and every person would receive your word and that along with it would come faith to believe you for great things. So speak to us today. Build us up together through the word of God. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, today I really do want to look at three things I believe that oftentimes stand in the way of us living an overcoming life. You know, the, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you would have it more abundantly. God's will for your life is that you would live an abundant life of faith, an abundant life of breakthrough. And I never want to stop short of God's best for my life. Who's with me? I want to press into all that God has. And uh, here's the thing, though. Some people were told when they accepted Christ and began following Jesus that your life was going to be just a downhill slide. It's just all easy street. Chocolate milk comes out of your tap. Skittles now fall from the sky. It's e everything. Listen, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, all right? We are going to face obstacles in life. I actually think once you begin following Jesus, many times life can actually be a little bit more challenging than it was before because guess what? You're no longer just going with the current of this world. You are now swimming upstream. You are now fighting against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. You are now doing the will of God. You're not, on this, you're not going the same direction as the devil is anymore. You're going in the opposite direction and there will be things you must overcome. And I want to look at mountains, caves, and strongholds. Things that hold us back from the very plan of God. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. It is a well-established opinion in this church. Come on. That people that take notes are more likely to go to heaven. All right. Why don't you grab something? I want you to write it down. And I just want you to write mountains. Mountains. Let's read Judges chapter 6. I want to just kind of continue through this story we started when we opened in Judges chapter 6, picking up in verse 3, it says, Whenever the Israelites planted their, cr their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. And they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, all the goats, the cattle, and the donkeys. These enemy hordes coming in with their livestock and their tents were as thick as locusts, and they arrived as dro on droves of camels, too numerous to count. They were actually known as the camel people, the Midianites. They would arrive by the thousands on camels, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. Now listen, so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. 
Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. I want you to see what they were up against. They were up against what seemed like an impossible enemy. Hordes of camel people. I just want you to picture it in your mind. Riding through the desert, scarves around their heads, camels, too numerous. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but camels are terrifying creatures. I don't care what you say. There is nothing cute about a camel. Those things are freaky, all right? I'll take a horse over a camel any day of the week, all right? Now, you put a whole bunch of crazy men on thousands of these camels rolling in. This is a terrifying situation, and they were dominating the people of God, dominating their resources, dominating their perspective, dominating their food supply. It was what seemed like an impossible situation to the people of God. Now, I want to define for you what a mountain is in your life, because chances are it is not thousands of people riding up in your life on camels that is causing you to not move forward in the plan of God. But maybe, just maybe, there is something that's standing in front of you that looks too big for you to overcome, that looks too massive for you to get by, something that stands in between you and the promises of God that you cannot overcome. Perhaps you have a mountain. And again, I want to define a mountain. A mountain is a seemingly impossible obstacle that stands in between you and God's promises. It is a seemingly impossible obstacle that stands in between you and God's promises. A mountain is always something that seems bigger than you. It is always something that seems impossible for you. This could be an issue that you're facing. This could be a failure from your past. It could be a shortcoming in your life. It could be an area of addiction that you're struggling with. It could, be, it could be a trauma in your life. It could be a career obstacle. It could be a person on the workplace that is causing you so many problems that you don't even want to continue on. You fill in the blank. We will all face mountains. And I realize that some of us in this room are facing a mountain right now. You know, Jesus taught on mountains. And he talked about mountains quite a bit. Mountains were a pretty important thing to Jesus. They were a place he visited often. They were a place that he encountered God. They were a place that he transfigured even in front of some of his closest friends. And in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus teaches us some very interesting things about mountains. He uses the, obviously he's not talking about a physical mountain. Jesus is talking about a personal mountain with these people. But I want you to hear what Jesus himself said in Matthew 17, verse 20. It said, he replied, now they're facing something that seemed impossible to them. And Jesus replied, listen, because you have so little faith, I tell you, if you have faith, now this is going to encourage some of you, if you have faith as big as an elephant, oh, wait, wait, that's not what Jesus said at all. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Can I just pause for a moment and speak some faith into your life? Whatever you are facing right now, 
Whatever has had the audacity in your life to try to stand in between you and the promises of God for you, if you will muster up what little bit of faith you have and say to that mountain, move from here out of my way, it will move. Let me say it again. It will move. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. And Jesus doesn't even stop there. He says, it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. There is no such thing as an impossible situation for God. Now for you, without God, a lot of things are impossible. Gosh, I feel like just mounting a paper towel dispenser on the wall can be an impossible thing for me sometimes. But with God, nothing is impossible. Jesus taught us that mountains move by one thing, and that one thing is faith. Faith moves mountains. Faith moves obstacles out of your way. No matter how big your circumstances are or seem to be in your life, they are not bigger than God. You know, the Bible says this is the victory by which we overcome the world. It's not our strength. It's not our theology. It's not our friends. It is our faith. This is the victory by which we overcome our world or this world. It is our faith. Listen, faith takes us higher. Faith moves us forward. So let me ask you a question. What do you do if you don't feel like you're in the great faith club? What do you do if you're facing a difficult circumstance, but you don't feel like you've got big faith? First of all, I just want you to know you're in good company. The man we're looking at today in the Bible, Gideon, he wasn't in the big faith club either. Listen to Judges chapter 6, verse 12 through 14. The Bible says the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now listen to verse 13. Sir, Gideon replied. This is modern vernacular for, excuse me? What did you just say? Come again? He said, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Have you ever felt like that? Some of you are in this place today and you're asking this question. If the Lord is with me, why am I dealing with what I'm dealing with right now? Listen to this. And where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord, listen, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites for I am sending you. Listen, I want to give you something today that will help you. It's a key truth that you've got to get a hold of if you're going to move forward in your faith walk with Jesus. And it's simply this. The faith that you have is enough. The faith that you have is enough. You don't have to have something more than you have right now. You might only have a mustard seed. But friends, it is enough. You have to understand the nature of faith to understand why it is enough. Faith is not a natural thing. 
Faith is given to you as an allotment by God. God has given each one of you a measure of faith. Can you grow in your faith? Absolutely. Should you grow in your faith? Absolutely. But God has given to you a measure of faith. Without that, you would not have been able to trust him for your salvation. God has given you a measure of faith. Every time you hear the word of God, you receive a measure of faith to receive the word of God. The Bible says, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word gives you faith. Here's the thing. You have faith. But more than that, what Jesus is trying to teach is not that you should just have a little bit of faith. He's trying to teach you that whatever faith you have, even if it's just a little bit, if you properly utilize the faith you have, it is enough to move mountains in your life because faith has an elasticity to it. It stretches in the moment. It stretches to be bigger than whatever you are fighting right now. It might seem small, but it grows to be big enough to accomplish anything that you have. It might seem small, but as you're fighting the battle, God supercharges your life. Faith will stretch to wrap itself around that mountain. Faith will stretch to enlarge your life to be bigger than what you're facing right now. God will enlarge your perspective. God will enlarge your life. God will supercharge your spirit until what was a mountain to you before looks like a molehill that you can overcome. I have found that God will either move the mountain or he will correct my vision and help me see it was never a mountain to begin with. It was just a molehill that I could step over. Faith will enlarge you. Let me just speak over you. Go with the faith that you have. Go with the strength that you have. The strength you have is enough. The faith you have is enough. The courage you have is enough. I hear some people say, I don't know if I'm brave enough to do this. Listen, courage is not not being scared. Courage is doing it anyway. It's pursuing God. It's going after that thing. It's fighting that battle. It's not backing down from that struggle. It's doing it scared. Well, pastor, I don't know. It's scary to raise my hand in worship. Do it anyway. I don't, pastor, it's scary to talk to my friends about do it anyway. It's scary to trust God with my money. Do it anyway. Listen, there, it takes courage and courage many times is coupled with fear. Just do it anyway. Go in the strength you have. Go in the faith you have. Talk to your child. Share with that coworker. Trust God with that thing. Start that business. Have that conversation. Engage in that counseling session. Do whatever it takes, but don't let fear hold you back. The strength you have is enough. The faith you have is enough to move that mountain out of your life. If you believe it, please shout amen. amen. It's enough, friends. You have what it takes. Faith will change your perspective until it looks doable. Here's a big thought. You know that you're walking by faith when the impossible begins to look possible. Fear still has you if you're talking impossibilities. I'm stuck here forever. I'm never going to leave this thing. It's always going to be a battle. I'm never going to get out. Blah, 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 blah. That's fear talking. You know you're walking by faith when the impossible seems possible. You might not know how, when, or why, but it will seem possible by faith because we serve the God of the impossible. We serve the God of the impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. And more than that, Jesus said, nothing will be impossible 
for you. Because you are God's people. And you trust the God of the impossible. I want you to write this down. Caves. Mountains, they move by faith. It's by faith that mountains move. Caves are a different story. The Bible says in Judges chapter 6, if you read verse 13 um, through 15, again, I, we, we read this passage, but the Bible says that they were hiding, they were dominated. And then Gideon lands himself in a wine press. That Gideon is now, he's threshing wheat, the Bible says, in a wine press. Now, if you understand threshing wheat, which most of us don't, they would beat the stalks of wheat to get it out. It takes wind, right, to separate the chaff from the wheat. He's doing it in a hole. There's a problem with that. Not only is it not efficient, it's just weird. Sometimes fear will just make you do weird stuff. Come on. Operate very inefficiently. Why are you doing that? I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm doing it that way, you know. But he was dominated. He's in a hole. He's in a hole. He's hiding. He's not wanting to be visible to his enemies. And it's interesting because we can give Gideon a hard time because the angel shows up and says, hey, you know, calls him this mighty man, this mighty warrior. And we can give him a hard time that he's in a hole, but the reality is many people in the scripture landed themselves in a cave at some point in their life. Abraham's nephew Lot, when God delivered their family, well, most of their family anyway, um, there was a little incident with his wife. You can read your Bible yourself, but um, out of Sodom, the Bible says that Lot went and hid in a cave. This was, I mean, barely even appropriate for a Sunday morning gathering. You can read that story. He went into a cave with his daughters and some very dark things happened in a very dark place. King David in the scripture found himself running from Saul who he had served faithfully And King Saul was trying to kill David for a long time. And the Bible says that King David ran to the cave of Adullam, where he hid from King Saul. This was a network of caves, actually, where they were hiding with a bunch of guys he had rallied around them that had some difficult backgrounds. Elijah, the prophet, He ran to a cave on Mount Moriah when he was depressed. God had met him in a place of depression under a tree. Then he runs to a cave after that. And God actually has to speak to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing here, man? How'd you like God to have to ask you that question? What are you doing here? Um, Obadiah. That's a name we should bring back. Come on, Obadiah. Sounds strong. hid the prophets of the Lord in a cave. I want to define the cave for us today because a cave is a place we go when we feel defeated. For Gideon, it was a wine press. For David, it was a dulam. For Lot, it was a cave system. For Obadiah, he hid the prophets in a cave. For Elijah, it was a cave in Mount Moriah. But what is your cave? 
Maybe it's isolation. Maybe it's a place of depression. Maybe it's a bar. Maybe it's people that you run to that you should not run to. Maybe it's a relationship. But lots of us have a cave. And I want to answer the question, what drives us to the cave? Because I think unless we know what kind of an enemy we're fighting, we don't know how to fight it. The Bible tells us not to be ignorant of the devil's tactics. We've got to know the way the enemy works in our lives and even the way our own self can war against us at times so that we can stand up against it and stay out of the cave. And I actually believe that we see exactly what drives us to the cave right here in Gideon's life in verse 13 through 15. Let's read this again. In verse 13, the Bible says, Gideon replied, if the Lord is really with us, why has this happened? I want you to catch that. If the Lord is really with us, why has this happened? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. Catch that. Now the Lord has abandoned us. Have you ever felt like God has abandoned you? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to these Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have. I have rescued Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Now listen to what he says. But Lord, but Lord, Gideon replied. I want you to catch this. How can I rescue Israel? For my clan is the weakest clan in the whole tribe of Manasseh. You know what he was saying? My family stinks. You do not know what family you just called. My family is jacked up. They are not going to deliver Israel. You called the wrong ones, God. Is there anyone else here today whose family tree has a few twisted branches? (laughs) Gideon's did. He said, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. In my whole tribe, we're the worst. Now, to be fair, he was an equal opportunity pessimist. He wasn't just down on his family. He keeps going. And he says, I'm the worst in my whole family. Not only is my family terrible, I'm the worst out of all of them. I'm the worst. Now we laugh, but some of us have been there. I want you to see these three things that popped up. This is where Gideon was. And I need you to catch this because this is a key to getting out of the cave and staying out of the cave. Did you see it? He said, but now the Lord has abandoned us. My family is the worst, and I'm the worst out of all of them. He had a low view of God, he had a low view of others, and he had a low view of himself. He was down on God, he was down on his family, and he was down on himself. Now here's the thing. It is a lie believed that will drive you to the cave. The lies of the devil... The lies that we even tell ourselves can drive you to the cave. Most people do not have 50 different lies that they believe. Matter of fact, I've now been pastoring long enough. I've been working with people long enough, helping people get free long enough, dealing with my own issues, come on, long enough to realize it's usually not 28 different problems we have in our life. There's usually just a few. 
There's just a few things that you have bought into that you actually think are true, but they are not true at all. And he believed that God, God was right there with him. And he's like, God has abandoned us. If I'm the angel, I'd be like, I'm right here. Like, what are you talking about? He's down on God. He's down on his family. And he's down on himself. Listen, a lie believed will drive you to the cave. You've got to have the right view of God. You've got to have the right view of the people that are closest to you. Here's what I found. If the devil can't get you to think about God wrong, which by the way, this is out there. I'm telling you, so many people have the wackest theology right now. It is crazy. The things people are trying to TikTok and Instagram theology is polluting our world right now. Just because some 22-year-old in his mom's basement made a TikTok about it and it sounded good doesn't mean it's good theology. Be careful what you believe about God. There's nothing more important than what you believe about God. Get what you believe about God from trusted voices, from proven leaders that demonstrate the goodness of God, the bigness of God, the greatness of God in their own life. Let's not abandon the faith of our fathers. I'm telling you, there's still some power in that old way. There's still some power in the truth of God's word. There's still some power in preaching out of the Bible. The the, the pulpit is not a place for a TED talk. It's a place to open up your Bible and see what the word of God has to say about him and about you and about the people closest to you. We've got to be word of God people. We've got to be a word of God church. It is... God's word that will bring you faith. It is God's word that will reveal Jesus. And it is God's word that will set you free. It's not the trendy stuff. It's not the latest and greatest. It's not philosophical riddles and whispers from the coolest communicator out there. It is the word of God that will set you free. It's the word of God. I'm proud to just be a Bible preacher. If I could have any compliment at all, it's just, hey, you preach the Bible. What else can we preach? There's nothing else. Paul said, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. There's nothing else, friends. Everything else is powerless. Everything else is empty. Philosophies won't save you. It is Christ and Christ crucified that will transform your life. And in this kind of a climate, what people need is not an inspirational talk. It is the word of God preached with boldness and power and the anointing of God. That's the only thing that's going to transform your life. I ain't that good, but God's word will bring freedom to be careful what you believe about God. Be careful in deconstructing even the history of your faith and some of the, the elements maybe that, the, that people and leaders in your life have brought in that you don't actually deconstruct out of you a healthy view of God. It's important. It's important. Shed off dead religion. That's fine. Jesus was a proponent of that. But you can't afford to have a wrong view of God. You can't afford to have the wrong view of people in your life. This is where the devil likes to work. He'll get you twisted in your relationships. I don't even think they like me. I don't, I don't even think, you know what? I think they hate my guts. I think this and that. I think, you don't know that that's true. But that's how the enemy works. It's called an imagination. You've got to be on guard against that. And here's the thing. Don't have a lower view of yourself than God has of you. 
Don't have a lower view of yourself. God showed up and said, hey, mighty warrior. And he's like, sir? Last time I checked, I'm terrible. It breaks my heart when people get to that place. You are not what you've done. You are not the sum total of your worst days. You are the sum total of who God says you are. That's who you are. Online family, you are the sum total of who God says you are. That's who you are. If God says you're his child, you're his child. If God said you're his daughter, you're his daughter. If God says you're his son, you're his son. Don't settle for a lower view of yourself than God himself has given you. And listen, it's the lies we tell ourselves over and over again that drive us somewhere. They drive us somewhere. The language of hell is lies, but the language of heaven is truth. Let me say that again. The language of hell is lies. Why do you know that? Because Jesus told us that the devil's native language is lying. That's all he says is lies. Anything that comes out of his mouth is manipulation and lies. But God is truth. And what God says is truth. And what God says will bring freedom into your life. See, here is a, here, here's how to know between God's voice and the devil's voice. Because believe it or not, you can actually be in a place where they seem the same. Or you can't distinguish between the two. And he will come as an angel of light trying to pollute your heart sometimes. It blows me away. I've had people sit down in my office and say, here's what God's telling me. And I'll look them right in the face and say, God would never say that to you. Contradicts his very word and nature. You've believed a lie. Here's how you can tell what is God and what is not. Where does it drive you? If it drives you to the cave, it ain't God, friends. God's voice will never drive you into the cave. It will never drive you into a place of a low view of him, a low view of others, and a low view of yourself. It will never drive you to depression. It will never drive you to defeat. God's voice will lift you. God's voice will bring life to you. God, listen, even when God has brought correction to my life, it has a way of lifting me like no other voice in the world. When I hear the voice of God, it can lift me out of my darkest moment. There's nothing like God's word, nothing like God's voice that will pick you up out of where you are and lift you into a higher place. And here's a great truth I need you to get today, friends. It takes the same amount of strength to run to the mountain as it does to run to the cave. Because when Jesus was under pressure, he did not go to a cave. He went to the mountain. Jesus had a favorite spot that he went to called the Mount of Olives, a little garden called Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And in his worst moments, in his worst moments, that's where he went. Jesus did not go down. He went up. Jesus did not go into hiding. He went into relationship with God. The enemy's voice will drive you into isolation. It will drive you into hiding. But God's voice will drive you into community. God's voice will drive you into transparency. If you'll be honest with God about where you are, it will bring freedom. You are only as sick as your secrets. But if you will bring them out before God, just exposing them to the light will destroy their power in your life. And God will set you free. 
Friends, it takes the same amount of strength to go to the mountain than it does to go to the cave. Don't allow the voice of defeat to drive you to the cave. Allow it to drive you to the mountain where you can meet with God. Where does my help come from? My help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. That's what the scriptures say. God is on your side. You can run to the mountain and find help in your time of need. He's ready, friends. Number three, I want you to write this down and i got to get you out of here. Strongholds. Strongholds. Caves. Finally, strongholds. Listen. It says, Late that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Take a small bull from your father's herd, one that is seven years old. Pull down. Interesting, seven years old. That bull was born the same year that they went into captivity. Seven years. Pull down your father's altar. Now I want you to catch this. He said, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah poles standing beside it. Now remember when Gideon said, "Ah, you messed up. My family's jacked. Like you don't know my family. Some of you are like, what is jacked? Messed up, broken, (laughs) off course. (laughs) All right. He said, now go take down your father's pagan altar of worship. Gideon's dad, come on, wasn't the best Hebrew. Come on, somebody. He had erected Asherah poles. And he said, and build an altar to the Lord your God there on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. In other words, rip out what your father had erected as this demonic place of worship and carefully build an altar to the Lord there and sacrifice that bull as a burnt offering on that altar using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole that you just cut down. Let what you are defeating be the fire that burns the sacrifice you're bringing to God, is what he said. As you're tearing it down, let that thing fuel your passion for the Lord. And it's going to burn up that offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household. Remember I said, just do it scared. <laughs> just do it scared. Just do it. Make sure you do it. Okay. And he, so he did it, but he did it at night because he was afraid of everybody else. And he was afraid of the people in town. Listen, what is a stronghold? It is one prevailing problem that stalks your life. So where does Satan have a hook in you? Max Licato says it this way. He said, some people are prone to cheat. Others are quick to doubt. Maybe you worry. Yeah, everybody worries some, but you own the national distributorship of anxiety. Perhaps you are judgmental. Sure, everybody can be critical, but you pass more judgments than the Supreme Court. What is that one weakness, bad habit, or rotten attitude? Where does the devil have a stronghold on you? Ah, There is the world, or or there is a word that fits. Stronghold, fortress, citadel, thick walls, tall gates. It's as if the devil has fenced in one negative attribute, one bad habit, one weakness, and constructed a rampart around it. You ain't touching this flaw. He defies to heaven and he places himself squarely between God's help and your explosive temper, maybe, fragile self-image, voracious appetite, your distrust for authority. The list could go on and on. Let me define strongholds for us today, friends. It's a problem area of your life 
that you can't seem to get rid of. But 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says this. It says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, and we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. See, listen, like Gideon, we face things that have been built up in our lives that are keeping us back from God's promises. Gideon's first fight was an Asherah pole, a false belief in demonic practice, listen, that had been built a whole generation before. Let me give you a great word. To some of you, it's not going to encourage you. Others, it will. <laughs> but here's the reality. Some of the problems you'll have to fight in your life didn't even start with you. You were born into it. You were born into a family with rage. You were born into a family with addiction. You were born into a family with pessimism. It was ingrained in you from your childhood. It was erected up as a place, almost a a pillar of worship in your home. You were just critical. You were just a doubter. You were just angry. You were just addicted. It was all you knew. And let me just tell you, it might not be your fault, but it is your problem. And the first thing God says to Gideon, tear down and be a solution to what you did not start. It wasn't your fault, Gideon, but it is your problem, buddy. And we got to start there. We got to start by tearing down the things that your forefathers erected in your life. I believe even right now by the spirit of God under the sound of my voice, that stuff is coming up in your heart. You know exactly what it is. Maybe you have a stronghold and you know exactly where it came from. It was around your granddaddy's heart. It's been around your daddy's heart all your life. And right now it's in your heart right now and nothing's been able to touch it. You've never been able to break it down. All the counseling, all the medication, all the nagging from your wife, whatever it has been all your life, it has never changed that area of your life. And the reason why is because natural solutions will not remedy supernatural problems. A stronghold is something that cannot be torn down by natural means. It takes a supernatural move of God's spirit in your life to tear down a supernatural stronghold in your life. These were his dad's idols. You know, um, my wife and I, we had this house um, a few years ago and our front yard was tied right in with our neighbor's front yard. So there was like no, nothing separating them, right? And it was, a, it was a single mom, and she was the sweetest gal. Um, but she did not do lawn maintenance. Come on, somebody. And so, which was fine. I can do lawn maintenance. The problem was, is the dandelions would come up. And I am, how do we say this? OCD. If my lawn is not the best lawn, it's not because I'm not trying. Come on, somebody. And I would be out there, whoosh, you know, weed and feed to the maximum. And then the dandelions would just come up in her yard and the wind would blow and the rest is history. And I'm going, hmm, these dandelions, this is not my fault, but it is my problem. And so I would just, being the good neighbor that I am, I would just go over to her yard too. Low weed and feed. Come on, somebody. She had no idea why her grass was so green and dandelions did not grow. Maybe I was the guardian angel of her lawn she never knew about. But I just need you to know that sometimes there's going to be things in your life 
that aren't your fault, but they are your problem. And you'll have to deal with them or you'll have a stronghold forever. And I need you to understand that God told Gideon not just to tear down the Asherah pole, but to build an altar to God in its place. And friends, here's what I believe God woke me up this morning to preach to your life. We were talking with uh, a friend of mine the other day, and he was saying, I don't know why I have so many weeds growing in my lawn. I'm trying and I'm doing everything I know how to do and all this stuff. And we asked this landscape guy, and he said, hey, why do I have so many weeds growing in my lawn? What do you think I can do to keep the weeds out? Because they just keep coming back. It's like I deal with them and they come right back. I deal with them and they come right back. He goes, what kind of poison do I need to put on there? Like, what, what do I need to do? I'll go nuclear if I need to go nuclear. Like you tell, Now listen, we laugh, but some of us have been dealing with issues in our life for 20 years. And we're ready to go nuclear. We don't know what's going on. We can't get... And this is what he said. And my buddy, he said, my mind was blown when my landscaper told me this because I thought it was another, it was another chemical. It was another this. It was another that. I was ready to go buy whatever, do whatever. And I thought, gosh, some of us have been like this in our own life. We'll take another pill. We'll drink another. We'll take another shot. We'll do another thing. We'll, we'll go to another counselor. We'll do another. And this is what he said. He goes, oh, the answer is not more external. Listen, he said, you need to water your lawn more. It's too dry. If the weeds are growing so much that you can't control them, you need to water your lawn more than you are now. Because if you'll build the turf, it'll take care of the weeds. And I just had this thing explode in my spirit when I heard that. I thought, oh my God, this is the thing most of us need to get. We don't need another thing. We don't need another seminar. We don't need another conference. Many of us, we don't even need another counseling session. Some of us do. Come on, somebody. But some of us don't. What we need is we need the living water of God in a greater measure than we have now. The problem is our lives are so dry that things are just growing up. But I found out that a strong turf will propel the weeds from coming up. And friends, I want you to know the same is true in your life. Strong lives, strong spirits, watered by the very presence of God watered by the Word of God, watered by the Spirit of Heaven, a strong life will propel so many of the negative things that try to come up in our life. The answer is not more of you. The answer is not more of this world. The answer is more of God. If you believe it, stand up on your feet and give God a shout. If you just say, more of God, less of me. We need, we need more of God in our lives. Listen, I, I want to pray for you today as we get ready to dismiss. And I just need you to know, listen, it's not God that's holding back. So many times it's us. God wants to pour his spirit out, pour his strength out, pour himself out in a new dimension in your life. I'm telling you, God is poised and He is ready and He is able to pour His Spirit out in a new dimension upon you. And so listen, if that's where you're at today and you just say, God, I need more of you, great, I believe God's going to pour out in a brand new dimension. Maybe you're doing pretty good. Maybe you have a mountain though. Maybe you're in a cave today. 
or maybe you're facing a stronghold, I want you to know the faith you have is enough and the strength you have is enough to get out of the cave and the God you have is enough to destroy every stronghold in your life. I'm believing for it. And I just want to pray today over you. I want to invite our prayer teams to come forward. And as we end our service today, our prayer teams are going to be available to pray over you. They're going to couple their faith with yours to move mountains. They're going to couple their strength with yours to get you out of the cave. They're going to couple their belief in this great God of ours to help you demolish every proud obstacle that has raised itself up against you and the plan God has for your life. And I'm just believing that today we're going to leave mountains, caves, and strongholds behind in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for your people. I thank you for each and every person that's here. I thank you, God, that you're moving and working in supernatural power. And so, Lord, I just pray the goodness of God would be released in this place. That, Lord, our faith would be enough to move mountains. I pray our strength would be enough to take us to the mountain instead of the cave. And, Lord, I pray today not tomorrow or next year, but today. The power of God would be present to break down every stronghold that's keeping us from all that you have for our life. Be that God that is enough. Be that God that is strong enough for us. And may we leave freer than we've ever been. And I ask for it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Somebody shout amen.